Joyful greetings. One day I pray that uh, all of you will finally respond to me. I say joyful greetings every time I get up here and have yet to hear it back. But I just want to start off by saying how excited I am to preach today. I mean, I'm always excited every time I have the blessing and privilege to serve you guys as family. Um, but today I'm extra excited. But in case you don't know who I am, I'm Patrick, Patrick Fisher, and uh, that was our pastor. I'm not a pastor of this church. I am just a healthy church member who loves serving this church on the preaching team. Now, the reason why I'm excited is because of this new series that we've started in the summer, uh, which is called Bible in a Summer, which means exactly what it says. We're going through the Bible in a summer. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but at first, the preaching team uh, got together and we wanted to do this big conference for our church called Bible in a Day, which would have meant 12 straight beautiful hours of me, Wilson, Gabe, and Jake just preaching about the Word of God. Would you guys be down for that? Yeah. Well, because of that response, we realized that uh, it would be a lot more practical and effective and beneficial for our church as a whole to go through the Bible as a sermon series in the summer instead of one big whole day. And our prayer and our vision when we are planning and prepping this series is that we really wanted our church, especially in these early years as we're laying down the foundation, we wanted our church, we wanted you guys to understand what the Bible is all about. You know, Wilson, he talks about how, you know, it's not a a Google search engine, it's not a self-help book. Ultimately, this Bible, this book that we study from, it's... It's the Word of God, but it's, it's a story. And all these major stories, these events that we read about, are a part of one big epic meta-narrative. Last week, Wilson, he taught about Noah and the flood. And in teaching about the flood, he talked about sin. And Wilson just really laid, out, laid it on us. It was a heavy, heavy Sunday. We could feel it, right? He unpacked man's evil our own evil, God's holiness, and God's wrath. And I I really wanted to emphasize this. I really wanted to say this, that I hope you realize how awesome that is. I hope you realize how amazing and how much of a blessing that is. Grasp this, that we have a pastor that loves us so much, he's willing to talk about sin. It's not a favorite topic on Sundays. It's not an easy topic for a preacher to do well, especially when so many people just want to talk about God's love and embrace him as Savior, but not take him as Lord or embrace all of him, including his justice, including his wrath. So many pastors are afraid to mention sin. So I pray, I pray, pray, you see how blessed we are. We have a pastor who is willing to go through the entire Bible in the summer instead of just picking a few verses and preaching whatever he wants. We have a pastor who submits to God's authority instead of leading us with his own. And he didn't pay me to say any of this stuff. I just wanted to count it a blessing. 
I want you guys to count it a blessing. And if you're not Christian in this room, I want to tell you that this, that's true Christianity. It's, it, it shows all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the redeemed. Many preachers and teachers, you know, when they talk about the flood, they want to glance over God's wrath on sin, right? Like we, we glance over how a whole world of people died because God was fed up with their evil ways and how we, in our sins, we deserve similar fates. We deserve hell. Instead, they just end up talking about cute animals going onto the ark and how there's this rainbow at the end. And I think C.J. Mahaney puts it best. He says this, Some might find it surprising that I would teach a young boy about, about God's wrath towards sin. But I find it surprising that any loving person would withhold this truth from another person they love. Because only when we understand God's wrath towards sin can we realize that we need to be saved from it. Only when we hear the bad news that we're deserving of judgment can we appreciate the good news of that God, through His Son, has provided salvation and full, continuing forgiveness for our sins. Only those who are aware of God's wrath are amazed at God's grace. And I, again, I say all this, not because Wilson paid me to, but because this is truth that we need to hear not just on Sunday, but every day of our lives. And so I want to continue loving you guys by continuing to tell you guys some truths, even if it's hard truth. And this truth, this absolute truth, not just what I feel to be true, but what I know to be true, is a heavy truth. Are you guys ready for it? Yes. Well, even if you aren't, I'm going to tell it to you because I love you guys. And it's the truth that ultimately, the Bible is not about you. I want you guys to say that with me. Wake up, because it's hot and you guys will be falling asleep. I want you guys to say, the Bible is not about me. So then, who is it about? Jesus, God, yes, it's about God. The Bible is about God. And if you don't know what I mean... Uh, I want you guys to watch this video, and it'll help, us, uh, it'll help unpack that a little bit more. So turn your attention to the screen. What is the Bible really about? Is the Bible basically about me and what I must do, or is it basically about Jesus and what he has done? When you read in Luke and Acts, how Jesus, in those 40 days, uh, got his disciples together, 40 days before he ascended, after he was raised, what was he doing? Basically, he was saying, everything in the Old Testament is about me. He says, the reason you didn't understand what I was about was you didn't realize that everything in the prophets and the Psalms and the, the law was pointing to me. Do you believe the Bible is basically about you or basically about him? 
Is David and Goliath basically about you and how you can be like David and Goliath or basically about him, the one who really took on the mate, the only giants that can really kill us? And so his victory is imputed to us. Who's it really about? That's the fundamental question. And when that happens, then you start to read the Bible new, you know. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, his garden, a much tougher garden, and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who though innocently slain has blood that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go into the, into the void, not knowing whither he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. While God said to Abraham, now I know you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we at the foot of the cross can say to God, now we know that you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Jesus is the true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, He's a truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never looked at a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life. Who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish, says, when I perish, I'll perish for them, to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so we could be brought in. He's the real Passover lamb. He's, he's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's not about you. So I really love that video, and I hope you guys see the truth in it. The Bible is not about us, ultimately. It's about Jesus. And if you, in that video you didn't know some of the stories or... Um, that's fine. That's the reason why we're doing Bible in the summer. It's to unpack those stories and see how they all fit together in this one big story about God. And so for me, what this means is when I go and read the Bible, the main question that I ask isn't how can I apply this or what can I get from it, although that's not a bad question to ask, but I think the main question stirring, that should stir in our hearts as we open up his word should be something like this. What can I learn and know about God? What does this have to say about him? And so today we're going to dive into Abraham's story. And we're going to see what does this have to say about God. Abraham's story, you can find it in Genesis chapter 12 to chapter 21, and I'm not going to read all, uh, all of those chapters today. Instead, what I want to do is I'm going to paraphrase it, uh, and then I'm going to talk about three verses. Is that okay? Or you guys want me to read all nine chapters? 
All right. I'm going to paraphrase it, uh, and I'm going to focus on Abraham and the promise that God makes with him. And a lot of this uh, paraphrase that I'm doing, it's inspired by one of my favorite books, which is the Jesus Story Book Bible. It's a children's book, but man, it is so good. It is so theologically sound, and it's written so well, it made me cry. So if you don't have it, even if you don't have kids, I recommend getting it, the Jesus Storybook Bible. You can find it on Amazon. And so I am talking about God's special promise to Abraham from Genesis 12 to chapter 21. From the days of Noah and the flood, many years passed and things didn't get any better. People were still just as cruel and mean to one another. They still got sick and died. God's world was full of tears and heartache. It's broken. It's broken. It's broken. But God was getting ready to do something about it. He was going to make all the wrong things right again. And he was going to do this not with a flood, but through a family. I will fix it. I will fix it. I will fix it. Abraham, God said. How many stars are there? Let me see, Abraham said, as he looked up and began to count. One, two, three, four. Four, crap, I lost count. Uh, let me start again. I got this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 100, 739. Uh, did I count that one yet? I'll start from the beginning again. One, two, and again and again he tried, but of course he kept losing count. Of course he would lose count. Till finally he gave up and said, God, there's too many. And with great joy, God replied, Look, Abraham, I am going to give you so many children and so many grandchildren and so many great-grandchildren that you won't be able to count them either. And Abraham, he couldn't believe it. How could he have a family? It was ridiculous. It was impossible. He didn't have any sons. He didn't have any grandchildren. He wiped away the tear from his face as reality began to set in. It was too late for him to start having children, start having babies at his age. He was around 100, and his wife, well, he stopped talking about her age a long time ago. So what could God mean? Well, God knew what was in Abraham's heart, and he said, Believe me. And then God told Abraham his incredible plan. Abraham, I'm going to make your family so big, they will outnumber the stars. Abraham looked up again at the dark night sky, thick with bright shining stars. This time, instead of counting them, he was in awe. You will be my family, my special people, and through you, 
everyone on the earth will be blessed. This was God's covenant, God's promise. It was an incredible promise. God was going to rescue the world through Abraham's family because one day, one of his great, 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 great grandchildren would be the child, the promised one, the rescuer. Do you, do you know who that is? Jesus. Good. Gold star. But it's too wonderful, Abraham exclaimed. How can it be true? Abraham, is anything too good to be true? Is anything too wonderful for me? I am God, the God of the universe, the one that spoke all of creation into being. How can you say that I can't do this? I will do this. So Abraham left the comforts and security of his home to go where God was calling him to go because Abraham trusted what God said more than what his eyes could see, and he believed. Now, when Abraham's wife, Sarah, gave birth to a baby boy, they weren't surprised. They knew God would do it. And they named him Isaac. Their dream had come true. But that was only the beginning. For God would do as he promised. He would, do, he would always look after Abraham's family, his special people. So that's the paraphrased version of the story of Abraham. And what I want to do now is I want to focus on Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. It's on the screen, but if you guys want to make sure it's in your own Bible or smartphone Bible, you guys can do that too. But I'm going to read it. The Lord had said to Abram, this is Abraham, before God gave him a new name. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I want to focus on verse 1 right now. When the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I love how Hebrews, the book of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He went out not knowing where he was going. That is crazy. That's crazy. He went out not knowing where he was going. Think about that. Grasp the full weight of that, please. How many of us, you know, before we do anything that God would call us to do, wants God to lay out the full plan first, right? How many of us are afraid to, to do that, to, to go into the great unknown? 
And yet Abraham, he left all that he knew to go to a place he knew nothing about, purely on God's word, on his promise. And I think about that personally. I think about what that would mean for me, how I was born and raised in Southern California, how I know the 60 and the 57 in my heart, although my wife might argue differently, how I know the best places to get my favorite food, Korean barbecue and sushi, how all my closest friends are in California, how my wife's family and my family are less than 20 minutes away. My roots are here. There is a comfort and security and peace that comes with that. But then I think about the day when God would call me and Katie out to leave and go make known the name of Christ where his name has yet to be known. And as excited as I am for that day, if I'm perfectly honest with you guys, it's, it's daunting, it's scary, it's not an easy thought to leave all of this behind. My friends, my family, my church, my job, all these things that I love so much, to leave it all because God says, go. It's hard, it's difficult, and as I grow older, especially after getting married and paying for rent and having my dream job, the more roots I have here, it gets harder and harder to think about uprooting that. But you know what? I never, ever, ever in my entire life want to say no to God. And I know it may sound cliche, but for me, my home is not in Southern California. My home is in the hands of God. Wherever he leads us, Katie and I will follow. Whether that be in some tribe where there's no Wi-Fi or none of my favorite food, or a hot shower, or the suburbs dealing with the upper middle class where church is just a hobby to them, or the inner city, or the slums, or where martyrs are made, anywhere and everywhere he calls, I want to go, I want to do. Because the moment I find myself willing to say no to God, that's how I realize more of my idols. And I don't want none of that. I want to have faith like Abraham. And you see, at this moment, right, most, most sermons would end here with the application of how we should be more like Abraham and have faith in God no matter what he calls us out to, which isn't wrong. That's amazing application. And I pray to God that all of us would have that kind of faith or would strive to have that kind of faith. But I don't want to end there. The point of the Bible in a summer isn't to end there. I want to ask, what do we learn about God? I want to highlight two things. I want to talk about one, how Jesus is the better Abraham. Abraham was imperfect. 
despite his amazing faith, right, his faith to go up and move and go to a place unknown, he still has his faults. He still has his lapses in faith. There's this moment where Abraham, he tries to get out of trouble. For, uh, he tries to get out of trouble by his own power. He's trying to deceive this king that's threatening him. Uh, and so he lets the king almost sleep with his wife by saying, oh, she's just my sister, right? And he lies, but most of all, he endangers his wife. So Abraham, as awesome as he is, he's not perfect. But you know who is perfect? Great again. Jesus, right? Jesus is perfect. He's absolutely perfect. Jesus, as we, read, as we heard in the video, is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. We learned about this when he went through Philippians. Do you guys remember that? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11, it says this, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equally equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking this form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." So get this, right? Christ, he was in heaven. Like, try to imagine how sweet that must have been. Like, I don't even have words to grasp how awesome it must have been in heaven for Jesus, especially for Jesus, right? And yet he left all the comforts there. He left his position there to come to earth. Stinky, smelly, broken earth filled with us. And he took on the burden of flesh. He allowed himself to be tortured and crucified. And he, he died as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. What is Abraham's sacrifice compared to that? What Abraham gave up compared to what Christ gave up for us? What is my sacrifice? What is your sacrifice compared to what Christ did? He is clearly the better Abraham. And so the next thing is, the next thing I want us to learn is how God is faithful. Because when he makes promises, right, when he made the promise to Abraham, it was truth. When we make promises, we can't fully control our ability to keep it or not, right? We're limited. I mean, think about it. how many times have you made promises and you weren't able to keep? Whether it's promises to your parents, like, I'm going to get straight A's, right? And I wasn't able to keep that. Or 
anything like that. Just think about the times that you've broken a promise, and I know I've done it countless times. But when God makes a promise, he fulfills it. It's not a, maybe it's going to happen, we'll see, but it's, it's a guarantee. It, it becomes fact, truth, absolute. There's no question about it. And the promise he made with Abraham, it's fulfilled in Christ. God's sovereign, unstoppable plan. We get to experience that. We get to experience the blessing. Remember the last part of verse, of verse 3. It says that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. When, when Christ comes, the promise and the blessing isn't just for the Israelites, but it's for us. Because no, no, none of us are, I'm pretty sure most of us aren't Israelites here, right? We're of different race, different backgrounds. And yet we get to be part of God's family. We get to be part of the thing that, will, that numbers the stars in the sky. That's the reason why we get to call each other brother and sister. And we get to call God Father. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 to 9 says it like this. Know then that, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles, which means non-Jews, by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The nations are blessed. And this doesn't just extend to the entire globe, but it expands to the entire course of history. God even uses us to, to take part in this covenant and fulfilling it. When we share the gospel with others, do you realize what you're doing? We are inviting them into something huge, something bigger than ourselves, something bigger than Renew Church. And when they join in, they become family. They become part of the thing that numbers the stars in the sky. The Bible, it gives a, a glimpse of this final masterpiece in Revelation. And so I want to read that, and if it helps you, close your eyes to imagine it better. But Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 to 12, says this. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and round, and round the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 
That is what we have to look forward to. For Abraham, right, he got to see a glimpse of that when his son Isaac was born. That was only the beginning for him. For us, us being here, a part of this church, living life on mission together, calling people to be a part of God's family, that's just a glimpse of the covenant, of the promise fulfilled. What we have to look forward to is this scene in the new heavens and new earth, this beautiful moment when everything that is broken has been fixed and all things are right again. I hope you look forward to that day. I hope you live for that day because that is what it's all about. I want to close with this because I think what has happened is that we have lost track of who we are because we are too focused on ourselves. In order to figure out who we are, we need to start and focus on God because we are made in His image. We are made for His glory. We are made in His according to his perfect plans. And so who is God? That's what we want to know. And we got a better glimpse of that today, and we're going to continue getting more glimpses of that as we continue to live under the word of God. But today we saw that Christ, he's the better Abraham. We saw how God is faithful. And that's why I love Bible in the summer because it gives us the opportunity to look beyond ourselves and look at something bigger. God is what the Bible is all about. And if I were to go one step further into this truth, I'd even say that even our own lives ultimately aren't about us. It's about God. And I hope you can take this truth, because this is truth that frees you up like a man who goes out and looks at the Grand Canyon or sees the wide, endless ocean or the stars in the sky. They don't, you know, they don't do that to feel big and awesome and mighty, right? They feel small and little. And yet in that moment of worship, they feel so alive. We need to embrace our smallness, our finiteness, and behold God's bigness, his infiniteness. We are really, really tiny. But the temptation is that we want to be big. We want to be the star of the show. We want to be glory thieves. And it's the same sin that Adam and Eve had right? They, they ate of the fruit because they wanted to be God. We want to be God. But what good is a mirror alone in the darkness? We need God. We need his light. He is our purpose. He is our all in all. He is what all of this is about. And so would you pray with me? As we, 
as we ask God to help us, help us see God for what He is, for who He is. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us, help us sinful, messed up people focus on you. I know how many times I wake up each day and I think about me, me, me. I think about what I have to do, what I have to get done, what's going on. I'm so me-centered. And it's only by your grace that you help me breathe true air. And instead of drowning in those thoughts, you help me realize that my life is not my own. That I'm not the center of the universe. I'm not God. Because if I were, then I'd make a crummy God and things would really suck. But you are God. You are everything. You are the one that we worship. And in worshiping, we have never felt so alive. Thank you that we are, we are your people. That we can say we are your sons and daughters whom you love. And it's only by your grace only by your love, only by your mercy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Help us. Please help us not to forget that. All the days of our lives. And help us to have the boldness to invite others into this because this is the best thing in the world, to be a part of your family, to be a part of your story. So it's in your sweet, sweet Jesus' name we pray. Amen.